Yeah, Lee's got to go to a swap meet. <laughs> gotta go. Sorry. He's gotta go. They gotta drag him that's, to it. That's because I speak model airplane. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Welcome to the RC Roundtable Podcast, where we discuss the latest RC hobby news, events, model reviews, and a whole lot more. All right, hello everybody, welcome back to the RC Roundtable. Today I'm Fitz Walker, and we've got Lee Ray. Howdy. And Terry Dunn. How you doing? And a very special guest, Thayer Syme. Hello folks. Hi guys, if the audio sounds a little strange because Terry and Thayer are in the attending the AMA East Coast event. So we, we will interrogate them and find a find out what they saw today at the first very first day of the event. And uh, this is Terry's first time, so we're especially interested to see what he has to say about it. Uh you uh you you <laughs> Terry, you and uh Thayer uh Survived the day, I guess. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, it was not that grueling, to tell you the truth. But there was lots of neat stuff to see. Ah, cool beans. All right. Well. All right. Well, we'll find out uh, the details in a few moments. Uh, first, let's start off with some industry news. So first up, I got a little surprise from Maxford USA. Uh, I'll have to say, I first saw this from. Our friend Chris over at the RC Geek, he was at, I think, the AMA West Coast event, and he was showing some pictures. Chris Wolf. Chris Wolf, yes, Chris Wolf. I'm terrible with names. Uh, he had posted a picture, I think it was on his Twitter feed, about he was at the Maxford booth or something. In the background, I see a C-130 on a table. I ask him, is that a C-130 from Maxford? And he applied in the affirmative. And then, Terry, you sent a link shortly after showing it on their web page. And so that was a pretty big surprise because I uh, didn't know they were working on a big herky for uh, an ARF, believe it or not, 100-inch wingspan. That's uh, pretty impressive for uh, for a model airplane. Yeah. Now, there was another one that uh, Hobby People sold a few years back. How big was that guy? Oh, that's right. But I don't think that was anywhere near 100-inch. Uh, maybe 60 no, Ish. it had to be bigger than that. Was it bigger? Know. Was it bigger than that? I don't remember. Yeah. What was the name of that company that, that was doing that? They had several mm. ARFs like that. That wasn't VQ Models, was it? Global Tech or something like Global Hobbies? Well, Global's the importer, I think. Okay. But, you so know, I don't remember. It, it was It was about 10 years ago. That... Yeah. I don't think it was out for very long, was it? Uh, I don't know how long they offered it, but from what we're finding here quickly is it was, in fact, a 100-inch airplane. So it's not the same molds being rehashed. This is uh, new style. You think they're two separate molds? Well, they're different wingspan anyway. Maybe Maxford added a few rib bays. <laughs> <laughs> the, the high aspect no, no, of the same wingspan. Oh, is it? Okay, so it is the same wingspan. The same wingspan. I wonder. Hmm. Yeah, the plot thickens. Yeah. Now, if I remember, that older one had some very significant down thrust built into the, the motor nacelles. Is that uh, evident on the new one? Uh, I couldn't tell by the pictures. Not a whole lot of pictures of it and just a couple of uh, flight videos, so I have no idea. Well, if nothing else, this new version is in a Fat Albert color scheme. So that yeah. warrants enough excitement already. 
yeah, it's got a very nice color scheme, and uh, it has operating uh, rear cargo doors that are split. Top part goes up, bottom part goes down, and it has uh, retracts built into it. So that's pretty nice on that aspect. Are they mechanical or electric? I don't think it says. Um, it just says pre-installed. It doesn't, it doesn't give any details, so I don't know. And it wasn't obvious from the pictures. And it looks like it's made for electric. Yes. Yeah, it's all electric. Okay. So who's going to be the first to answer the obvious question? How do you put rockets on it? <laughs> Very carefully. Yeah, right. So have you guys ever seen the Fat Albert when they were still doing the JADO takeoffs? I think they quit because they ran out of the rockets, right? Or they were getting too expensive? Did they actually do that at air shows or something? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't remember ever seeing that. Yeah. They would do, uh, they would light the JDOs and take off. I don't know if it was vertical, but it had to be darn close. And then uh, level off. I think you went to, you went to better air shows than I did. Uh, well, they stopped doing it several years back for one reason or another. But I think they still do a demo with Fat Albert. Do you know what they are? I believe Fat Albert is still active, yes, but you're right, the JDOs have been have been shelved. Yeah. And we could probably Google it and figure out why, but we have lots to talk about, so. So who knows why they call it JDO instead of RADO? Because it's jet-assisted, not rocket-assisted. Oh. But what, how is it a jet? All I know is what it stands for, Terry. Well, that's what I'm saying. Why do they call it JDO when it's not a jet? I don't know. Do you know anybody who works at NASA you could call? No, those guys are dorks. <laughs> okay, so what we're finding, because of course we can't, we can't leave it alone. Apparently, we're quoting from a YouTube caption. Apparently, JDO bottles have been hard to come by ever since 2007. So, there's a, a video published by Gomer Pilot, P-Y-L-O-T, on, on YouTube. He published it January 4th, 2010. Apparently, is the very last JADO-assisted takeoff ever for Fat Albert. Interesting. Pensacola. Yeah, we can link that on the webpage. 2009, Blue Angels Homecoming Air Show. I think Thayer's going to be our honorary research assistant. I mean, look at that. He pulled that up fast. <laughs> yeah, this is a quick fact checker. So, we might be unresponsive for a few moments as we watch this <laughs> epic piece of aviation history transpire before our eyes. Well, I think we bring it back and we change it to Rato and we put some Estes rocket motors on that bad boy and have a fun day. It has to be bigger. Or, or bigger, right? We might, have to, we might have to go bigger than Estes. That's 20 bucks every time you take off. Yeah, but it would be awesome. It would. <laughs> yeah, you could probably pass around the coffee can. Oh, the best part is it's going behind the F-18s. Oh, there we go. It's, it's, a, it's a solid 40 degree, maybe 45 degree climb out. Wow, at nice. least for the first couple hundred feet. And then they're nosing over and heading off across the horizon. I'm skewered by a black cloud. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be a fun ride. And I'm guessing the noise is equally impressive. <laughs> well, well, I want to add to that little research that uh, I'm trying to keep up with there. I did a research and I was thinking, had I ever seen that at Wings Over Houston? And I, I guess I did because there's a 2009 video of Fat Albert taking off with 
Jato. Really? What year is it? Yeah. 2009? 2007 was the last. No, no. Oh, 2010. No, no. 20, 2009 Homecoming Air Show at Pensacola was the last time they did it. Okay. According to this caption. But it's on the internet, so it's got to be true, right? Right. All right, so here's the deal. Did you guys watch the video on the Maxford website of it flying? Uh, I did. I don't know about uh, Lee. I did. Okay, so what did you think? It, it flew. I mean, that thing, that takeoff was in one hell of a bank, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I did some calculations because I think we talked about this the other day. The wing area on the C-130 kit is almost exactly the wing area of a bird of time. But the C-130 weighs... 20 pounds, 21 pounds. A bird of time weighs about four. Yeah. So uh, I calculated the wing loading. It's uh, about 45 ounces per square foot, which explains why in the video it's flying like a pylon racer, which is yeah. pretty consistent. Most C-130 models that I see are like that. They fly like they're very highly loaded. I think the one exception is Sparky's, which I don't know what it weighs, but he does a good job with it. It flies nice and slow. Well, that's because he builds from foam and hollows it out. Well, yeah. If it if it ever is, yeah. has a core in it to begin with. Yeah. There is something yeah. magic about getting that wing loading or the or the wing cube loading down to to a number that lets you emulate what the real one looks like. And not to give too much away, but along those same lines, Dan Cray from Scaled Composites did a presentation today. You know, he was integral to the design of uh, Spaceship One. And he had a model of it there that's helium-filled. And he flew it over our heads in the arena at, <laughs> at half of walking pace. It, it seemed slower than scale speed. <laughs> <laughs> I, did see that, I did see that photo posted on the, on the web. Oh, did somebody put something up? Yeah, AMA had a picture of it. Okay, yeah, he hacked one of those flying sharks to make it. Have you seen those indoor sharks? Oh, yeah, I have one somewhere. Yeah, which those are neat in, of, in and of themselves, but he hacked one of those and put a little Spectrum brick on there with a uh, vectored thrust, and uh, that's what he's using. It was really neat. But we're talking C-130s. For those who, who aren't familiar with Dan Cray's name, if you go back to the very early days of what we now consider slow-flying radio control models or, or park flyers, he... Man offered up a kit for something called the IFO, which was the indoor flying object. And it was yes. essentially a carbon fiber mylar kite. And its wing loading was single digits. Low, it was like one, yeah. maybe as much as two ounces per square foot. So we chatted with him today briefly, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but we chatted briefly about you know, the old geared 280 motor and NICAD batteries, we, you flew those models with and mused that it would might be fun to revisit them with uh, brushless and lipos and see what happens when that wing loading really gets low. Yeah, yeah, he had one of the first really successful designs for indoor flying based on the old NICADs and the fresh motors and stuff. It was, <laughs> those were the days. Yeah. All right, well... Yeah, it's interesting. We'll see. Um, hopefully, we'll get some more details once the, they're, just, they're just estimating summer of 2018 for this C-130 to be out in the market. So hopefully, they'll give us more details. Well, uh, speaking speaking months. of that, though, I was yeah. gonna think, Terry was going to say the same thing. It's it's eight hundred and nineteen dollars and ninety nine cents just for the ARF kit. Yes, it's another four hundred and eighty bucks for the brushless combo 
motors and, and ESCs. <laughs> oh, and you need some servos. <laughs> Probably a lot of servos. Yeah, you're talking upwards of thirteen hundred bucks to get this thing up in the air. Yeah, but you know, it's a, a big model. You're going to be the bell of the ball wherever you take it. Did Did you notice kind of a goof on the fl- in the video of it flying? What kind of goof? We didn't study the video that carefully, but. Uh, there was, um, it says, the official release video, and it's flying around, and apparently one of the retracts wasn't working because oh, the yeah. nose is retracted, <laughs> and parts of the mains were, but parts of the mains were not. But it landed uneventfully. Yeah, yeah, so someone got hung up, I guess, when it retracted, but they came back down. I just thought it was funny that this is the official release video, but it, you know, <laughs> the retracts are not quite working right. But... Hey, they're not ashamed of their warts. <laughs> yeah. The retracts work fine in the demo part of the front end of the video before they take it to the field. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what happened, but I just thought that was funny. I wonder uh, how much the float kit's going to cost. <laughs> I think it is a float kit. <laughs> Actually, they made a prototype float setup for the C-130, if I remember correctly. Really? Yes. Now we're talking. <laughs> well, well, speaking of Sparky, he'll be able to hook us up, no doubt, as yeah, soon as... <laughs> yeah. Sparky's float conversion. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the, to the next thing we have. Um, it, it seems like we've been talking a lot about uh, EDF ducted fan jets lately, and yet another one has appeared. But although this one is really kind of really neat, how they did this one, it's called the Flex Jet from Flex Innovations. And if I recall, Flex Innovation was a company started by uh, uh, Kiki Samazini and pals. After he left um, sponsorship of one of the other uh, big retailers, and this this thing uh, it looks a lot like a T fifty, the Korean trainer plane, uh, well fighter trainer thing, which looks uh, a lot was, like an F sixteen. Yeah, based off the F sixteen, uh, so so it, it's kind of like an F sixteen, but with twin intakes instead of a single mouth, and little tweaks here and there. But what really caught my eye, of course, is the flight video. This thing just flies like a jet should not fly. Uh, if, you, if you can imagine a 3D uh, aerobatic jet, this is pretty much it, although it doesn't have vector thrust. Uh, did you get, everybody get to see a chance to see it flying in the video? Yeah, sure did. Now, keep in mind, it's Kike or somebody of nearly equal skill flying it. So. Well, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, um, who was it? Ninety millimeter fan, and the thing was doing uh, rolling Harriers with it and things, and uh, just just some pretty amazing flying. Whoever they gave to demo it knew exactly what they were doing. I mean, it was like doing like ten rolls a second. Yeah, in a circle. In a circle, yeah. So PK was holding back a bit then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't Kiki flying; it was some other guys. <laughs> so now those things uh, have built-in flight controllers with different flight modes and stabilization. Yeah, it comes with a three-axis gyro, and they said it's tuned specifically for the plane. So I guess you can't, you don't have an option of getting it without it. So it's so maybe they've got a little bit of magic going on in there. But still, the fact that the air, what the airframe can do, is really amazing for a, a foamy EDF. Yeah, I agree. Well, yeah. they got a good team on it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess they set out to make a really almost 3D-capable jet, uh, electric jet. Did you see the takeoff roll? Or lack of takeoff roll? Yeah, what takeoff roll? It just kind of pointed nose up and went up. I don't know if there's a headwind, (laughs) but yeah, it just kind of goes. 
Yeah, this it. When I was looking at, it, I'm thinking this is kind of a different thought process for EDFs. This is not something you want to throw a whole bunch of batteries in and try to go Mach two. This is something you, you keep it really light, light wing loading, and just kind of enjoy a sort of sleek uh, ducted fan that you can kind of throw around the sky really aggressively, but not really fast. Yeah, it kind of reminds me sense. of the concept behind the multiplex twister back in the day. It was just. Uh, to me, it was the first EDF that was meant to meant for casual flying. Just throw a 3S in it and go have fun. Yeah, yeah. Although this one's a 6S. This is a 6S, but it's very light wing loading. Looks like you can fly it in a, in a baseball park if you wanted to. So you can fly in tight areas. Uh, so really impressive engineering that went into it, from what I can tell. Did you happen to click on the F-16 link for Flex Innovations? No, I don't. They have an F-16? They have a big turbine-powered F-16 that... Oh, yeah, I did see that, but I didn't click on it. Yeah, that one's also impressive. Doing things that turbines ought not do. Mm. Again, with Kike or somebody equally skilled on the sticks. So, I don't... The, many of us will invest $8,000 in an airframe and then put a turbine in it, but <laughs> yeah. you will enjoy watching the video. If you got eight thousand dollars and you want to throw in an airframe, that's the one to do it. Huh? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I would guess so. It was also neat. Uh, they talk about the, the placement of the landing gear. It's kind of close to the CG, so you can sort of do a nose high ground roll at very low airspeed with it. Yeah, and I think yeah. that probably helped it get off the ground on the takeoff so quickly too. They can get a yeah. good angle of attack pretty quick. And then yeah, when they land, they just hold the nose off the ground forever. There's almost yeah. no ground speed when it finally drops. <clears throat> so anyway, it looks like a neat airplane. Yeah, it's very neat. It's, it's kudos to them for kind of thinking outside the box and the EDF design. Uh, Lee, you've been quiet. Do you have any comments? Oh, I was just going to add some features that I read about on this plane. First off, you've got the uh, the red and white and a nice blue and white color scheme. It comes with the, uh, the Aura 8 uh, stabilizing uh, system, which we've talked about a long time ago. Um, but, uh, I have, I've never used it, but it, obviously looking at that flight video, it looks like to, it flies very stable. I think it has nine digital servos and 80 amp ESC. And I mean, the price isn't too bad for what we saw with a 90 millimeter jet. It's 529. So yeah, it's right there with that new motion F4. Different beast yeah. for different tastes, but you know, same price. Point. Yeah. Different, different type of flying. I mean, the F4 is more scale like, you know, in impressive view, this is, uh, well, if you're if you're a good pilot, this is definitely a, probably a fun plane to do some aerobatics. I think one of the things that impresses me most about this airplane, and I, and I'll be right up front about this, I'm not really a jet guy. My personal passion is, you know, predates World War II. But I I've got to say I love the expanded flight envelope that the light wing loading is offering this airplane. Um, you know, it, it seems to have really good low speed handling and uh, I would say it's flying at what appears to be a realistic speed. You know, one of our temptations as modelers when we want to go fast is to get something going just as fast as we can, and oftentimes that's really too fast to give a realistic impression. Um, this this model is light enough to get off the ground at a decent speed. It, it seems to present well in the air, and yet it also has a good turn of speed when you push that stick forward. So I think it, it'd be fun to fly. Yes, agreed. 
I agree with there because I was I I think that's something I noticed in the video is that it nothing was being promoted as it being a fast jet. It was way more uh, performance. Yeah, I, I just I think for a lot of people the assumption is it's a jet, it has to be fast, and therefore I can't fly it. And while this does seem to scoot along pretty well, it it also slows down very well, and I think it would be well suited for uh, for a wide variety of sport, you know, sport pilot type flying. I just wish they had an inset window showing the control sticks while they're doing those rolling circles with it. It wouldn't make any sense anyway, Terry. Yeah. Unless you can do it. <laughs> and, if, and if you don't need to ask, then you don't need to see it. <laughs> Good point. So what do we know about the availability of these guys? I think it's on pre-order, if I remember correctly. Uh, late March. Yeah, they expected yeah, March. in March. And, and they're offering... You know, the free shipping is, is always something, right? Yeah. Uh, Given yeah, that you yeah. can't walk into your local hobby shop anymore to buy stuff in, in most <laughs> most cities, it's it's nice to at least get free shipping on stuff. Yeah, it's very right, generous. You know, generous. going back, I mean, how much is shipping for that C-130? <laughs> More than $30. Yeah. But I, th- <laughs> yes. I think Maxford's probably absorbing some of that as well. Yeah, they actually drop it, it from a real C-130. <laughs> it's delivered by an Amazon drone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they don't. They don't list twenty it. of them, <laughs> or the Intel drones. Now that the Intel drones are done with the Olympics, they can they can come deliver. <laughs> deliver your C one thirty. No, it's they're going to go meta. It's going to be dropped off the back of a real C one thirty. That would be sweet. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> parachute out the back. Oh, do one of those. Do the one of those where they come like real low to the ground, just drop it off the back, roll it off the back. On a pallet, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, hopefully, uh, we get to see more information, and I'd love to see one in the flesh. And once they come out, sometime uh, later this year. Hey, hey, Fitz, maybe you'll be lucky. Like with your Avanti, someone buys one, they you know <laughs> break a wing or something. I'll <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. convince <laughs> a club member to buy one and crash it for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, well, Balsa USA has started an interesting YouTube video series, and they're calling it the Beginner's Building Program. And I we kind of thought that was really neat, where they're basically taking one of their kits and showing you how to build it. And they're starting it with a kit they call the... Like the Simple 40 or something like that? Oh, no. Uh, they're starting with something they call the Stick 40. Stick 40, okay. Yes, and uh, in fact, they're offering a special. If you buy their Stick 40, uh, I think it ends um, on the 24th of February. If you buy Stick 40, you get a free uh, case of glue and uh, a caddy. Now, I think this episode airs after that. So Today's the 23rd, so it ends tomorrow. Um, Um... The 28th, I think. Ah. Yeah, I think it's the 28th of February. Because they said, well, you said a month from this time, and the video was like January 18th or something, so roughly. But then he had another video a couple days later that says, oh, a month from now. So I don't know what the exact date is, uh, but I'm sure you still have a few days from the from the airing of this recording to uh, get in on the deal. Well, maybe you can use it like your Bed Bath & Beyond coupon and just beg to get the free glue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Come on, man. I'm only a few days late. 
<laughs> well, what the the neat thing is that they are trying to encourage people to build kits, uh, and not only for their because they sell kits, but it's it's a really good exercise for people who've never built kits before to build one of their really simple looking kits and get the experience of building a balsa wood kit, which a lot of people say is maybe coming a lost art with all the arps and foamies that are out in the market. So they, it, it's really nice to see that they taken the time to produce a video series where they can highlight how to build a kit. Do they show you what tools to use, how to put things together and just sort of give you a guided tour. Agreed. I, yeah, I absolutely agree. And it, it's interesting that we talk about the balsa kits being a, um, a limited opportunity these days. Um, because there, there are definitely, there seem to be, let's go with seem to be, because I haven't counted or anything, but there do seem to be fewer kits or kit suppliers available now than years past when we were all getting started in the hobby. On the other hand, I think there are possibly, um, maybe not more cottage industry guys, but but quite a few cottage industry guys doing it. And one of the nice things about technology is that those cottage industry guys now have laser cutters instead of silkscreen frames, mm. right? So, I mean, I, I got started in, in this hobby back in the 70s, mid-70s, and all the, you know, limited production kind of cottage industry kit makers like Flyline Models and, you know, and Thomas and such, those guys... Really, their only option was to do print wood kits because they couldn't afford to make dies for die cutting, and no one had heard of a laser cutter. And now you've got a lot of guys like you know Bill Stevens at Stevens Aero Models, Zeke Brubaker at Park Scale Models, uh, Mountain Models, Menzano Laser. There's a bunch of guys who have have started either a uh, you know either a lunch money business or support your family business based on effectively limited production laser cut kits so um, we, we may not be getting uh, high volume kit production from the major distributors like we did in years past um, you know SIG and, and Hobbyco and such um, but we do have we do have a lot of little guys and there's a lot of interesting stuff out there and available if you're willing to look for it so yeah, for somebody who wants to get into balsa building today i think there's many more beginner friendly options than there were 10 or 15 years ago even so you can take one of those stevens air model kits that uses a spectrum brick and it's a balsa kit that uses traditional methods but you can build it in an afternoon and you've got almost arf type instant gratification but you did it yourself yeah and the secret yeah. and the secret about this with with all this, you know, CAD designed laser cut precision, um, for anybody who's thinking about giving it a try, but they've only assembled an ARF before, if you've assembled an ARF and gotten it to fly successfully, you can build one of these kits from Bill Stevens or, or some of these other guys because they're basically so precise that there's very few judgment calls that need to be made. The stuff goes together, it fits beautifully, and and the real secret is framing an airplane, it's like framing a house. You get a lot of visual bang for your buck very, very quickly. But mm. the real effort, I always found, especially when I was doing a lot of magazine reviews, I would spend 
sometimes more time installing radio systems and push rods and power systems and such than actually framing up a, a relatively simple kit. So what do they say when you have it framed up? 75% down, 75% to go? Yeah, at least, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe even 90-90. <laughs> so, yeah, years ago I built a, a house with a contractor. It ended up being from my high school math teacher, of all people. And the contractor on that job told me he only wanted to do framing. If he could have his, his ideal job, it would be just framing houses because it was always the start of the project. People were really enthused. Everybody was still in a, in a good mood. They hadn't overrun their budget yet. And he could pretty much charge whatever he wanted because the end product was so visually impressive, right? There was so much to see. So, and it's kind of the same way with a model. You can, you know, you start with a simple balsa kit. There really aren't that many pieces, and they go together pretty quickly, especially with our modern glues, right? You kind of piece everything together. When it looks right, you put a few drops of glue on the seams and move on. Yeah, yeah, it's not as hard as it looks, and, and people may be intimidated by that, but once you start, it actually, can be actually quite a bit fun and therapeutic to do this. And uh, it's great that Pulse USA is trying to give some people the impetus to, to try it themselves. I agree. Yeah, the videos are good, and I I definitely agree with the tools that he he laid out there. So if you're looking, <laughs> I see that question every now and then on like the Balsam Modelers forum on Facebook, and you know people. And the, the good news is I'm seeing new people getting into this hobby, which is a good feeling. You know, I always like those comments when someone says, "I'm new to this. I'm building this balsa kit. What do I need?" And you know, usually it's about tables and 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 then tools. And I think this is a great uh, link to share with those people. So, guys, if you're listening to our podcast and you're you're new into building, or if you've built arfs like they are mentioned, you want to build a balsa kit, have some fun. Look at like Steven's arrows and other like sigs, and and grab those stuff, and then watch the balsa USA. Uh, video you'll you'll get there yeah well said all right then on that note i think we'll take a break and be right back six inch wings in the kitchen pulling up above the silverware little airplane taking the All right, so we're here with uh, a special guest, Thayer Syme. He's a well-known model airplane designer, a contributor to the Model Aviation Magazine, and former and current magazine editor. Uh, thanks for joining us, Thayer. My pleasure. Uh, so, so you and Terry uh, spent the day at uh, AMA Model Expo East. Is that correct? Is that what you call it? Uh, it's, yeah, that's pretty close. AMA Expo East. AMA Expo East. Okay, I know I muddled says. it up somehow. Yeah. So, uh, well, I was going to say, I just want to sit back and, and listen to you guys talk as if I were listening to the podcast and, and had a walkthrough of the expo. So, go, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> it's all you. Start it's, talking. Okay, it's in a convention center, which is just a big square building. Nothing particularly interesting about where it is. but Other than the access. Right, it's it's very close to Manhattan. It's very oh, right. close to Newark Airport, and, and that'll come into play later. Um, we'll tell you what our plans are for tomorrow. But uh, 
Not if my wife's listening. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, we don't release this till Monday. Okay, so. good. Yeah. All right, so, you know, it's an expo. It's basically a place for vendors and businesses, anybody who thinks they have a dog in this fight of the model business to come and show off their stuff and sell their stuff. So here, you know, we talked about some of the people that would be around in the last episode. Um, you've got some of the big names, like Horizon is here, and then you've got small mom-and-pop shops that are here, and then smaller uh, production operations like Stevens Era Model. Um, they're filling this place, and there's booths all around. You go and, and see what's new and sometimes what's old. And also, the AMA has some guest speakers set up all in the same room, and they're on an agenda. And I think I saw three different people speaking today. Uh, Dan Cray, who we talked about earlier, works for Scaled Composites. He was there talking, and there was, who was the model? Dave Wigley? Dave Wigley was here talking about uh, designing and building scale models from a blank sheet of paper. Yeah, in great detail, uh -huh. he had a, a Bristol Bowfighter and a Westland Wyvern. I mean, some really interesting stuff. It's not just Hershey Bar yeah. Wings talking about that, but some complex topics. So, uh, what was the question? How great was the chef? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, the well, show. how about how about this, uh, Thayer and Terry? What really stood out to you today uh, on the first day? Uh, well, for me, the the big, the real big deal for me today was seeing uh, a couple of old friends. Um, I first met Dan Cray online in the late 1990s when I started a couple uh, email lists, one for free flight models and then one also for what we called slow flight models which turned into park flyers and indoor flyers and, and that list has been dead and gone for a while. It, it was eclipsed when those types of models became sort of mass market and the e-flight list got started and then also RC groups grew out of that. Um, but yeah, Dan, Dan, Dan and I got together a couple of times out in California before I moved back east. Um, mm -hmm. But we realized today that we probably haven't seen each other face to face for almost 20 years. And wow. So, I mean, truly, I think the last time I saw him in person was before he had released the IFO Mark III. It was one of his, his early versions that he came, he drove from uh, Mojave up to the San Francisco Bay Area to fly with a group I was flying with up there in Marin County. And Was that in a hangar, a blimp hangar? That actually, it was not in the blimp hangar. We were flying outside. Yeah, we used to fly actually in the Macon hangar, the uh, airship hangar uh, in Sunnyvale that was built for the Macon airship for the U.S. Navy in the... 1930s, um, and from if I remember correctly, it's been a long time since I've thought about it, but I think the Macon only used that hangar for 18 months before it was lost off the coast of Monterey. Um, but Dan, like I said, Dan drove up with one of his early IFO airplanes, and we were flying it around, um, and uh, this would have been actually about 1999, I want to say. <coughs> Excuse me. And one of, the, one of the really interesting things which I reminded him of was what a great thermal ship it was. Uh, he, he handed me the transmitter to fly, and I was flying it around for a little bit, and I felt like it was getting a little far away, so I gave him the sticks back, and it kept climbing and climbing and climbing. The next thing we knew, he had this thing at about 500 feet in the thermal that he just couldn't shake because, you know, every once in a while in California, you get a big, fat, wide thermal. 
and uh, eventually he got out of it and we got the thing down but we were we were pretty nervous for it because he didn't have I think it was you know like I said one of his early prototypes and it was it was on its way to a different county for sure so so for me seeing Dan again was a whole lot of fun but you know then all then all the local people that I know from this show that you know I try to get to the show every year and other, some other East Coast events like the Neat Fair in the fall you know so it's a it's a couple of chances to you know meet up with with all those guys, um, we had a great dinner tonight with some some friends from the show and from the neat fair. And yeah, uh, yeah you mentioned Dan uh, for people who may be listening to that and not quite familiar with him. If I recall, he's basically the chief engineer or one of the chief engineers for Scale Composites, and it was he was key to proving that the uh, the, the spaceship one design would work with the split tail. Uh, almost like a dethermalizer kind of thing and he built a scale model of it as a proof of concept because he's an RC modeler and when Brute Rutan saw that it actually worked is when they went ahead with the design yeah he, he actually had, in his talk today he he told us how that played out and and showed us some video of that test model and it was it was very amusing all around and and of course, the you know there was a lot of concern about that design because nobody had done it on a full scale airplane before, and yeah. some leading aerodynamicists had told Bert that, that just it wasn't going to work. And he said, "Oh no, no, we've tested it already with some scaled models, and it works quite fine." <laughs> <laughs> the interesting part was they used Dan's model to help appease the test pilots who were a little unsure of what was going to happen when they flipped the switch. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> theoretical. Yeah, after, after apparently Dan walked into the, into Bert's office and and said, "I got this model," and Bert looked at it and said, "That won't fly." And he said, "Well, it flew pretty well yesterday." And so <laughs> he made he made one circuit, you know, out out in front of Bert's office or the hangar or whatever. And the, and then Bert said, "Okay, hang on a second And they called all the test pilots and had them come to see that it actually did work. So. Yeah, All from model airplanes. What some people may not know is Bert Rutan, famous designer of privately funded spacecraft today, actually won, I believe, second place at the AMA Nationals for control line scale long before many of us could even think about what a model airplane was. So Yeah, yeah, he was a heavy modeler. Yeah, Bert is is a longtime aviation guy, and and started out building models just like what you all did, and and carried that through to a brilliant career. So, yeah, there's a on on YouTube. There's some videos of him talking about that from some years ago. Yeah, definitely worth looking up if you haven't seen it. Yeah, and I'm sure that his uh, talk will be posted on AMA's website sooner or later. So oh, cool. I would, yeah, I would recommend watching that. It was good. And there was an author there. What was her name? Julie? Julian Guthrie. Yeah, so they did a, a co-presentation. And she has a book about this whole XPRIZE thing. And so, oh, okay. yeah, it, it all melded together. And it was a good presentation. Worth, what was it, half an hour maybe? Yeah, half yeah. hour, 40 minutes maybe. Yeah, but for the two of them. And they, you know, of course, well documented with PowerPoint and all that. But... They were both very compelling talks. So, yeah, that was definitely a highlight for me. And, uh, I went to the Horizon booth, got to see the new P-47, held an IX-12 in my hands. And uh, I, I don't know. I'm still not convinced that that's the way to go. 
Are you familiar with those there? No. It's the new <laughs> Android-based transmitter. Oh, okay. Uh, all I can say is that in the past two days, I've had to update about 20 apps on my phone. So I think just that or that, that platform in general is just so unstable. I'm not sure I want my radio like that. But from what I hear, the people who have them already love them. Well, there was a time when we didn't want, didn't think we would ever fly an airplane using a transmitter with the antenna collapsed on it either. Uh, right. <laughs> or, or no visible antenna. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I haven't looked at it yet. I know nothing about it. It's, it's news to me. I've been, I must say, a little out of touch uh, for the last few weeks or so with, with my son and his Boy Scout troop. Um, but, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's good, maybe it's not. I, I don't think they're going to bring it to market unless it works reasonably well. Now, now, are there vendors selling stuff there, or is it just a displays? And, no, uh, you can buy stuff. You can buy stuff. And yeah. a lot of places have show specials. Yep. Oh. Hey, Na what'd you buy me? National Balsa is here. They've got a big display of, uh, uh, they may have, you know, four or five cords of balsa in there. Of, wow. In their uh, booth of all different shapes and sizes, from, you know, sort of premium select sheets to a box full of randomly sized shape off-cut blocks. So if you need to carve a, uh, you know, a block for some wheel pants or a cowl or canopy plug or something like that, you can pick that up here. It'll cost you a dollar. <coughs> yeah, anything in that box of blocks is a dollar. Sounds like a good deal. Yeah, and they range, I, I would say they range, what would you say roughly, Terry, from like a double pack of playing cards to maybe three times that size? Roughly. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, Sorry. some of them are small, but, you know, for the for the wingtip blocks on that, you know, vintage kit that you bought off eBay, and even though yeah. the guy said it was complete, that he used the blocks for something else, for so for a couple of bucks, you'd replace them here. They had a pretty decent swap meet, too. I didn't get into it until uh, some pretty good deals were gone that we found out about later. Um, I did pick up a couple items that I really hadn't anticipated. Um, there was a family selling off a collection of plastic static models that I believe had been built oh, yeah. by the father or grandfather. And um, I, so I picked up actually three of my favorite airplanes of all time. Uh, Republic CB, De Havilland Rapide, DH-89, and also the uh, DH-82 Tiger Moth. I hope I didn't just embarrass myself. Um, you know they 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 were you know pretty nicely rendered and and the price was the price they were asking was fair and they were willing to negotiate. So um, and and then I and then I bought a, another I also bought a a Lysander for a friend of mine who's a gifted scale modeler, uh, Rob Queso. He was not able to be here today, so I picked that other model up as a little present for him because he's planning a, a very large Lysander, I think 120 or 140 inch wingspan, something in that range. Um, so just as a little bit of inspiration to stick on the top of his computer monitor while he's doing CAD work. Um, the, the real big score though, we had one of the guys we had dinner with tonight pick up a, picked up a unopened Duncan Hudson uh, SE5, World War I biplane that's almost quarter scale. I think it's 1.41 or 1 to 4.2, something in that range. And he, he didn't 
argued the $200 he gave for that box at all because the kit, I think, was sort of in the six or seven, eight hundred dollar range when it was available. Wow! Wow! So that was a that was a huge score, and and I'm very glad he found it before I did, because I would have been <laughs> I would have been forced to take it home, and my pocket wasn't that deep for for stuff like that today. So I'm not familiar with that kit. Is that I guess well regarded? Yeah, it's a it's an English line. Uh, um, Hudson was a or is still I think an English designer, and a lot of stuff. Um, some of his designs were kitted. He's a contemporary of Dave Boddington, okay. and, um, who's another great English designer. Gordon Whitehead, all those guys oh, yeah, Gordon. kind of work together or, or at about the same time. Gordon's, I think, younger than, than the other two, but um, yeah, the Duncan Hudson kits are very widely regarded, and they at, at certain times in the past they've been distributed in the United States. Most recently, I believe, by Proctor Enterprises, but I don't think anymore so you know i was just thinking proctor when you when you said that i was wondering. oh jeff troy is here with yeah. a couple proctor antics um mm. they're very nice people may know jeff troy he's worked in the industry and done a lot of writing for years um he has a proctor parasol antic parasol which i i don't i don't know if he built that one or not but i i did talk to him a bit about an antic biplane that he had here of special interest to me because that is a kit that I've purchased recently. Um, it's a the Antic monoplane. For those who don't know, is a 1912, 1914-ish type idea of what might have been um, shoulder wing monoplane with the full sort of open truss rear fuselage. And pull-pull cable controls to the you know back to the tail surfaces, and even out to the ailerons is originally designed, and it's it's been a legendary kit in the hobby for at least 40 years. I think dating back into the 1970s or even late 60s, um, it was started. Company was started by Lou Proctor in the San Diego area, and is now run by a gentleman named Joe Topper up in Oregon. And if any of you guys are thinking of spending any money on a balsa kit and want something glorious, go look at their offerings. I think some of their kits are still well underpriced. Um, last time I checked, the Antic Biplane, which is a 65-inch version of the monoplane, it's a $300 kit. You start out by building up the ribs. That's right, you build up the ribs from from machine cut webs of one thirty second inch plywood with um, I believe the cap strips are now plywood, thin plywood. I think it's one sixteenth plywood. In the past they were balsa wood. But I think they've switched to plywood cap strips. So the first thing you do is you know, you've got three pieces to make up each rib. So you make a little jig that holds the cap strips on while you glue the well, you glue them to the center web, and you end up with each rib is an I-beam and lots of lightning holes, so it's all pretty when you get around to taking that picture of the framed-up model before you start covering it. Um, but very sort of classic, almost full-scale type construction. Yeah, um, yeah. The the uh, the Curtis Jenny kit that I, I also have, it's a one-sixth scale model, so it spans... Oof. 78, 82, 84 inches, somewhere in that range. The the bag of hardware of brass turnbuckles and and 
you know, strut end fittings and wire attach points and stuff. That bag alone is over two pounds in the kit. Yeah, the the, the proctor kits you almost don't want to cover them because they're just so beautiful in the in the bones. Yeah, years ago I was on the phone with with the then owner. I, I I don't know if it was Joe at the time or not, but I was told that of the based on the feedback they get from their customers, as near as they could tell, half of the kits for things like the Jenny and the Antic and whatever that they sold were getting were started pretty quickly, like within the first year that the person had the kit. Right, they they bought the kit, took delivery, knowing their workbench was clear and it was time to get started on on their masterpiece. So half were getting started within the first year, and of those, about half of them were being built as static display models, either covered or uncovered, and the other half were being built as flying models. So they're you know they're art in their own right, and wow, they even fly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and all sorts of variants that, that, you know, like I said, the Antic was originally an 81 inch monoplane, but it's been offered in a smaller wingspan, I think around 62 or 4 inches. Um, they also have a micro version, sort of a park flyer version. Um, they have float kits for it. They have optional, you know, accessories, different landing gear, wing center section, parasol configurations, biplanes. They, their website is worth looking just for the inspiration. So again another link so getting back to the expo oh right <laughs> <laughs> the what? I don't think there were any uh, ground shaking new products or technologies coming out today did you see anything new and exciting um, I, I didn't see anything um, I didn't get to very many booths today I was mostly catching up with friends um, but you know, looking over their shoulders while we were talking, I didn't see anything that really rattled me. Traditionally, Toledo, the Toledo show is where a new product gets introduced, and that's only, you know, a month and a half out, so in early April. So a lot of times the new products, there might be a soft release at this show um, within the official Here It Is guys at Toledo, but of course that's all changed now too because, hey, we've got the Internet. We can we can announce our new product any day, any time we want. So, so while that may be, uh, you know, affecting show attendance a bit, it's awfully hard to touch and feel and smell and fondle a new release when all you have in front of you is a computer screen. Right. Hey, Terry. Yeah. I'm looking at some photos that the AMA shared on Facebook. I'm not seeing your photos because you haven't shared them yet. <laughs> and and they're showing a picture of the uh, pond. Did you happen to visit the, the little float? Well, as a matter of fact, we did. And I was going to mention that. There were several things to do. Um, they had the boat pond there that was run by one of the local RC boat clubs. And they also had a flying cage. And in the flying cage, you could... Well, I don't know if they had public multi-rotors set up, but people were in there flying multi-rotors, and they had a little a race gate set up at some point. Um, but they also had electric control line, and that was kind of a thing where they had a community plane, and they would teach you how to fly. So there were a lot of kids in there learning how to do control line, and some of them were really good. 
and some of the adults were really bad. <laughs> <laughs> but the plan they were using was really neat. It was a Coroplast little pusher guy. Remind me one of the old... Uh, BVM Bobcat. Yeah, if you like think that. of that, it, it kind of looked like that. I mean, it was all profile, right? It's just just made out of, you know, sheets of Coroplast. But it had that twin boom pusher type configuration. Yeah, and it took a beating and was still flying and it looked none the worse for wear at the end of the day. But um, hmm. the, the kid or whoever would have the pitch control, but they had somebody off to the side who was controlling the throttle through a transmitter. So... They would advance the throttle and let them take off and fly around for a minute or two and then bring it back down. And it looked like a lot of people had fun with that. And Oh, I know what you're talking about. Uh, you said it was control line, right? Yeah. Yes. I have. I talked to the guy who designed that and I got the plans from him because I built one too for an event. I wish I could. Yes, yes. A very nice design. Yeah, it is kind of like a control line bobcat pusher. Yep. Uh, what I did is I had a RC transmitter too, a car transmitter with a throttle on it, and so I could control it and self-launch it too and stuff. So yeah, that's it's cool. Um, you used what I did is I used um, uh, you know the the signs I used for during elections. Yeah, the coroplast. Yeah, the coroplast signs. You go grab one of those and cut it up. And yeah, after the election, though, right? <laughs> yes, after the election. You don't grab <laughs> the ones for the guy you're not voting for before the election, because that would not no, be no. a modeler's appropriate behavior. But no, that that wouldn't be the cool. morning after that Wednesday in November. You can get a lot of building material for cheap. <laughs> yeah, a lot of times they're happy to let you take it, so they don't have to take it back with them. Right. Now, getting back to the pond. Um, we watched some of the boats over there, and the club that runs it, they appear to be kind of traditional tugboat. Beautiful uh, scale models. Yeah, a lot of wooden stuff. that I can't imagine how many hours went into these. But generally slow movers. And then at some point, we took one of the Stevens Era model, what's that called, a skimmer? No. It's called the waterboard. Waterboard. So it's a little airboat type thing. <laughs> uh -huh. And uh, well, If you think back in history, you can imagine when Bill might have developed that kit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we went over there and had a lot of fun and passing around the transmitter and generally annoying other people. Yeah, we pretty much, I hate to say it, but we kind of were bullies on the pond for a bit. The, the, the nice scale boats came out, they watched us play for a bit, and then they didn't seem disappointed when we left. <laughs> but it was, it was a lot of fun. Terry, did you bring your terrain twister? No, no. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, they probably would not have enjoyed that at all. Um, it's a the, indoor. The kids would have. Well, maybe, maybe. But, it's uh, pretty big. How big do you think that pond was? I'll bet it was what twenty twenty five feet wide and maybe fifty feet long. Yeah, probably. forty or fifty feet long. And they had almost two feet of water in it. So, you know, if you happen to flip the boat in the middle of the pond, <laughs> yeah. there was a penalty involved. <laughs> Fortunately, we didn't do that, but. And we flipped it near the edge. Yeah, we flipped it near the edge. <laughs> but all was good. It worked. Yep. So, Terry, you sent Fitz and I a photo uh -huh. of a uh, a twin diesel motor. Yeah. A little half A, I guess, or I don't know, it was a little bit bigger. But I'm looking at another picture that the AMA posted of the same plane, but next to it is a Heathkit radio. That's right, and it went to that airplane. And I want to tell you, I had one. Yep. <laughs> My dad... Built a Heathkit radio just like that. Now that one's been converted, obviously you can tell. But my my dad and I had that Heathkit radio. Wow. Now what frequency band is it on? 
Yes. 50. Oh. <laughs> we would have <laughs> All of it. Yeah. <laughs> Ours is probably 50. Yeah. So one of the organizations that's here with a booth is an antique radio society or yeah, something. Vintage Radio Control Society. Yeah, they have several of those Heath kits and other classic transmitters. And and some of them have been converted to, you know, modern transmission frequencies and or technology. And some haven't. You know, some guys are, are very old school. They've got the galloping ghost running for real, not simulated. Wow. 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 Now, that plane you're talking about was set up, they have a static model competition with several different categories. So I don't know what category that plane fits in, but... They have a vintage category. Okay. It would have been in that, yeah. But there's um, cars, boats, planes, all sorts of stuff. And this is stuff that people have built and come to... What's the criteria? Is it build to three view? Well, in, in the past... The model competition at this show, when it was still being run by the Westchester Radio Area Modelers Club, affectionately known as the Ram Club. Um, oh yeah, right. It it was, and they ran it for. I don't. I honestly don't know how long. Decades. Yeah, a long time. Um, they're they're and because they were a radio control club, the requirements were the airplane does not have to have been flown because. Let's face it, we're still in the middle of the Northeast building season here. Um, but it does have to be flight ready with radio equipment and a power system installed in it, unless it's a sailplane. Um, then it just needs the radio. So, and, and the servos need to have push rods. They need to be hooked up truly flight ready, not just in place. Um, so, But the AMA, of course, promotes all of model aviation. And so there are also free flight and control line models now welcome in the competition. And, and as Terry said, there's a bunch of different categories. You know, vintage radio control, sailplanes, warbirds, uh, civilian sport planes, um, all sorts of stuff. There's a big uh, Dornier DO-335, electric powered. Ooh. Yeah, you'd like it. Ooh, yeah. There's a 120-inch scratch-built Waco taper wing, which was beautiful. Nice, subtle rib stitching. Um, mm. What else was there? There was a there was a third-scale Balsa USA Cub, which was built by Ed Andrews in the middle 90s. And he flew that airplane for a long, long time. Every at least once a year. At least once a year until two thousand nine, maybe something seven, somewhere in that range. And then he tore it down to restore it, and he's got I don't know twelve hundred hours in it again, in restoration and detailing. And for those who don't know Ed Andrews's name, he lives out in the Pittsburgh area. He had a spectacular model here last year, which was a half scale uh, model RGB that he had scratch built. Um, just absolutely impressive, beyond belief model. And he, he even went to the point of the door that some people might simulate with striping tape on the side of the fuselage. Um, he had it cut out fully functional. And the, it's a thick door. It's like two or two and a half inches thick on the hinge line because of the contour of the fuselage. Um, he had a, a working lock cylinder in the door, 
and keys that he had made by hand, and he'd even, he'd even carved a GB, you know, logo that, that he then cast um, a few, you know, replicas of as the keychain for the GB. <laughs> yeah, it was that, that, the GB was a tour de force, um, and for people who didn't see it here last year, it was at Toledo as well, so a little bit of Googling would bring up pictures of that for any GB fans who want to see it. Um, Do you know if he's flown it? Um, I believe, I honestly don't know. He had not flown it at the time of, of the show last year or at Toledo, um, but his plans were to fly it last summer, and I haven't seen him yet this year to, to ask him how it flew. Hmm. Um, but, but it is a flyer. I have no doubt that um, if, the, if the weather and schedules cooperated, he would have flown it by now. But the uh, his his cub was was beautiful. It was, you know, fully detailed cockpit, um, hand stitched upholstery on the seats, beautifully made uh, seat belts. Terry and I discussed a bit how the buckles were made for the for the harnesses for the pilots. So, <clears throat> we we aren't sure if they were three D printed or or milled or carved and cast or what they, but. And their models, last year, the best of show winner last year was a relatively small control line model, actually, which was all built of metal, and I forget exactly what it was, um, hmm. but it was a it was a World War II airplane um, built by a guy whose grandson escorted him on stage to accept the prize, so... Wow. Yeah, it was, it was a nice moment last year, too. So yeah, it's definitely fantastic. a show worth coming to. There's a lot of great stuff out there if you can get away from all your friends. <laughs> all right, Terry, tell me about the important model. Tell me about those two R2-D2s. Oh, so <laughs> one of the groups that's here is a droid builders group. And ah. the R2s. Are they both R2-D2 or is the black one something else? Uh, it's probably some odd number, R4-D6 or something weird like that. Yeah. It's a, they're Astro Droids. Same, you know, model. Okay. So, yeah, they were here, and they uh, they took the R2 around and were showing it off. Oh, so they were radio-controlled? Uh, I didn't notice. So, yeah, I guess there was a guy with a transmitter there. Mm. He's not well, the guy you're looking at. His R2-D2 <laughs> comes down the aisle, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I don't know if you know, but uh, Fitz has a, a canine from Doctor Who. He does the same thing. Oh, really? Canine. Yeah. So, no, I'll tell you, these didn't seem to have as many features as your canine, so you're still safe. All right. Tell me how the curve. Yeah, but they were they looked pretty good. Oh, yeah, the droid guys usually do some really nice work. Yeah. And just looking at the scale of these things, you know, that's not a, a weekend project. They've got some time and money invested. I mean, they were, they were yeah. close to four feet tall, weren't they? Yeah. They were pretty good size. Yeah, they're big and heavy and spent a lot of money. I had I helped one get lift one in the car once at a convention. That thing weighed a ton. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't want a stiff breeze blowing it over, right? No. <laughs> so, so it sounds like a really good mix of stuff there at the show that you saw. Yeah, it is. It's a, a pretty big variety of stuff. Yeah, there really is. We, uh, the flying cage, it was actually the, the last two people who flew control line today were a couple of, were they both daughters? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a mother and her two daughters. And the, 
the two girls, they, you know, we didn't talk to them, but we watched them fly, and it looked like they were kind of in the, you know, 12 to 14, maybe 15-year-old range. And the guy who was uh, helping out at, at the Circle Center, pretty much as soon as they took off, he sat down on the ground so they could pass the wires over his head, and they flew unassisted with, uh, with great stability and no hint of, of a crash coming. They maintained line tension and control until until the throttle was reduced from the sidelines. It was very impressive. Huh. And, and that yeah. was even more impressive in comparison to the flights we saw earlier in the day. Yeah, yeah. An, an earlier session was interrupted by a dash to the repair table. This with indestructible airplanes with all the sensitive bits behind the coroplast. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's foolproof because fools are geniuses, right? There was some accomplished crashing going on. Right. <laughs> oh, no, another awesome. one of the display booths here is from the Intrepid Air Museum, which is you know, the Intrepid Aircraft Carrier close by Dr. Yeah, Manhattan, and they've got an air museum there. So we were, um, we had our arms twisted, and then Thayer and I will be headed over there tomorrow afternoon for a little while. Oh, nice. Yeah. They got the shuttle over there too, didn't they? They have Enterprise. They have mm. Enterprise, which was the test glider, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. How do you know so well, much about the space shuttle today? <laughs> <laughs> Something a little bit. Hey, who right, doesn't well, at this age? In this age range, who doesn't know about it? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. They also have a. I believe they have uh, a Blackbird on board, an SR seventy one. I think you're right on yeah. the flight deck. Um, and I almost want to say. Concord as well, but I don't know if it's still there or not. I think they have had a Concord there in the past. I, I maybe I'm just rambling nonsense, but but it, it will be fun to to give that a good look tomorrow. Yeah, we're expecting mm. to be over there in the rain, but that's okay. Well, I expect a full report. Yeah, you'll get it. For uh, right. other other fans of full scale aviation, the. Philadelphia Glider Council is here at the AMA Expo East, and they have a full-scale discus sailplane assembled on the floor between the flying cage and the boat pond, and they are raffling off an opportunity to go on an introductory unpowered flight. Um, Not in the discus, because that's a single-seat airplane, of course, but they have at their club, they have uh, two-seat trainers, and then they also, um, but it's but it's something that they're doing with the Soaring Society of America. You'll also get a uh, temporary membership of the Soaring Society of America, which is like the full-scale glider version of the AMA. You'll get a um, subscription to their magazine for a few months, and that, if you win the prize, it can be redeemed at any of the SSA-affiliated clubs throughout the country. So you don't have to live near Philadelphia, which is, I thought, a really nice touch. It's not just a club trying to promote themselves. They're out there trying to promote flying to anybody who's interested. One interesting tidbit about unpowered flight is that a suitably trained student pilot can fly a glider solo at the age of 14, according to the U.S. government. For a, yeah. power, for a powered airplane, you have to be 16. So that's a, that's a big thrill for young teens to work towards. And most clubs that I've talked to have, 
have a very generous accommodation for youth members, very low membership yeah. costs and, and very low training costs. Like like they're practically giving away time and for their for their instructors and their aircraft. So yeah, a lot of them have the the instructors will be free, just have to pay for the tow. Yeah, and even that's the couple of clubs I've talked to around here are are discounting that heavily in exchange for the young students spending a few hours on the field helping out with, you know, lawn mowing or assembly yeah. or running the wingtips or whatever. Typically, you know, three or four or five hours per flight that they get for you know, 10 or 15 or 25 bucks, which is what I was paying for my, I was paying $26 for a tow to 3,000 feet in, let me do the math quickly, blah, plus that, and that would be about 1979, <laughs> 1980. So the same price, 30 years, no, hey, almost 40 years later. Yeah. So, so they're working hard in the sewing community to get to get youngsters involved, which I think is great because the more kids are involved in model building, the more people will be in, more they'll be involved with general aviation and recreational flying, whether it's powered or unpowered. It's just getting the air and preserve so that, it right. That's interesting. So you flew gliders? I did. Yeah, when I was when I was sixteen, the winter I was sixteen, I told my dad I wanted to fly hang gliders because you know that was the late seventies and. That was the day his hair turned white. <laughs> he can he consulted with a pilot friend of his and he said, you know, Don, what do I do about this? I don't want to tell him no, but and so my father generously financed a couple of weeks of camping and flight training on the airport at the Sugarbush Soaring Center in Sugarbush Valley, Vermont. Um, which is still in operation and a fantastic place to go if you're ever up in that area if you're a skier or a leaf peeper or <laughs> a leaf peeper. or a golfer in the summertime that that's kind of northwestern corner of Vermont is beautiful and they do rides you know with zero training you can go for a, a ride and the strangest thing about being in the sailplane beyond the view that's unobstructed by an engine cowl or spinning propeller is the fact that you can have a perfectly normal conversation with nothing covering your ears because there's no noise. So, yeah, in fact, I used to fly gliders myself. That's so when you said that caught my attention. It was a while ago for you, it sounds like. Uh, maybe about five years ago, five or six years ago. I was pretty active for a while. You're almost current. <laughs> yeah, almost. <laughs> yeah, I just need a check ride and I'd be current. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably 35 years out from PIC time in a sailplane. Oh, it's been a while, huh? <laughs> Same here. I started when I was about 16. Right? Why wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, Katie. And Katie. Yeah, That's Katie. awesome. Yeah, gliders are a lot of fun. I always, it was it, much more uh, affordable than powered flight and really nice seat of the pants flying. Just kind of go up and relax and look for thermals. <laughs> just, uh, it was a lot of fun. My last flight in a sailplane quickly was um, was in October of whatever year that was, and um, the the nice thing about the soaring at, at Sugarbush is they have a lot of thermal activity in the valley. They have the ski area, the range that the ski areas are on to the west, which can create a nice wave condition, and then they have slope soaring to the east on on a lower eastern ridge, 
And my oh, last gosh. flight was it was about an hour of just sort of putzing up and down a slope soaring on the east ridge at about the tops of the tree level, or the top of the ridge level. I wasn't near the tops of the trees, but it was it was flurrying there. Every once in a you know there was it wasn't nearly enough snow to even begin to obstruct vision, but it was clear the season was over when the snowflakes are blowing by your by your canopy. You know, that was that was fun. That sounds like fun. So, so Thayer, I understand that uh, you are somehow involved in uh, resuscitating the Flying Model magazine. Um, yeah. Can Can you talk to us a bit about that? <laughs> sure. Um, Flying Models, as as many people know, is a, probably the premier building or magazine catering to builders of any kind of model airplane. It was founded in the 1920s, just a couple of months after Model Airplane News, so it's the, you know, and unfortunately not even continuously published anymore. Um, Kirsten's unfortunately went out of business in 2014, and I had been hired to replace Frank Finelli as the editor. Um, I worked for them for several months. We published a couple issues with my name in it. Uh, unfortunately, though, they were, uh, Kirsten's was, they were on their way out. Um, it just, it wasn't a sustainable situation for them. And so when my wife found out that my job was ending, she said, is there an opportunity there? And we talked about it for a bit. And as somebody who's passionate about building model airplanes, for me, the primary thing was preserve the plans collection. Um, and so I talked with the Karstens a bit, and they we, we came to an agreement, and I ended up buying from them um, Flying Models, uh, name, website, intellectual property, uh, including all the back issues that were still around. Um, the plans, the 1,500-some-odd plans that were in their catalog. And the goal is, yes, to bring the magazine back to print. I do not have a hard timeline for that. Um, I, I had really hoped it would be by now. Uh, there's been a bunch of personal reasons why that hasn't happened yet. Um, but I have at least... The, the plans are available that you can go online and and see any of the plans that were in the magazine during that time period that the Karstens owned it, basically from the late 60s through to 2014. Um, so all those plans are available, and people have been very supportive in, in buying the plans. I've added a few other things to the website as well. Um, I found some very interesting streamlined bamboo strut stock, for instance. The pieces wow. are they're about seven and a half inches long, they're um, about three sixteenths wide and a sixteenth thick, and they're perfect for, you know, sort of, I'm probably not peanut scale models, but, you know, stuff in the, in the dime scale, 16 to, you know, 20, 24 inch range, there's a lot of applications for it. They can be used for, you know, interplane struts on larger biplanes. Um, I found a stash of litho plate, which is a great material for doing metal panel work on models. 
Um, there was enough there that I could share it with other people, so I've made that available. Um, and then we'll have the back issues. We've just finished inventorying those and getting them organized in a way that can be sold. There are about 300 different issues of the back, you know, old issues of flying models, which will most likely just be sold alongside plans to, you know, if somebody wants the building article. Um, mm. But yeah, the, the 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 goal and the dream and the passion is to get flying models back into print. Um, I do want ink on paper for that. My theory there is model building is a pretty traditional uh, pastime, and pretty much everybody I've talked to says they prefer they'll they'll put up with a digital magazine if they have to, but they really want a paper magazine that they can read the way they've read it for decades. Well, it sounds like an ambitious project. you, you think you're looking at a, a monthly issue or something quarterly or along those lines? Uh, the, the dream, of course, would be monthly. Um, that's a huge proposition, not only in, in generating the amount of content required and getting it out the door, but also the, the uh, expense involved. Um, so initially we will be starting quarterly and as quickly as we can, we will ramp that up to maybe six or eight issues a year and then hopefully be back at 12 issues a year soon thereafter. There are a lot of people with, um, subscriptions that, that were, uh, victims to Karsten's closing. You know, some people had two or three issues left on their subscription when Kirsten's closed or, uh, you know, and some people had multiple years. There's a couple of people I know that had three or even five or six years left on their subscription. Um, yeah, so I, I feel that the right thing to do in that case, once we get the magazine back up and running, um, will be to honor those subscriptions. Um, some people have said, you know, that's crazy. You can't do that. You should just cancel them all and ask, people to resubscribe and and my feeling on, on that is if I get something in the mail that says I know the last publisher kind of took your money and, and, and tried to fulfill a subscription but it didn't work out and you're still owed stuff from them so why don't you send me some more money and we'll try it again make the check out to the same place yeah you know I'd, I would personally would much rather have the magazine just appear in my mailbox and say oh wow it's back how fantastic! <laughs> how can how can I support this? You know, and if if people want to subscribe and and extend their you know current although suspended subscription, uh, as soon as they get those first couple of issues back in the mail, I'm all for that. But um, you know, and then the question comes up: Well, I had two years left on my subscription, and you're going to publish quarterly or or six or eight times. Well. It's, it's pretty simple math. If you had two years left on your subscription, that's 24 issues or 22 or whatever the subscriber list says. So regardless of the uh, publication frequency, when we get back up and running, if you're owed those 22 or 32 issues or, you know, two, whatever it is, that's how many you'll get regardless of, of whether or not they're coming monthly or quarterly. Wow, that's really generous. That's, that's fantastic. Well, best of luck to you in getting it up and running. Oh, I appreciate it. And and what one thing I learned very quickly when I walked into their offices and started to work for them and, and started to talk to 
people on the phone, readers and subscribers and stuff, is Flying Models really is, is an umbrella for a family. Um, some people may remember the name Dave Thornburg as a modeler, a California modeler from, you know, back in the 70s and 80s. And he wrote a book at one point called Do You Speak Model Airplane? <laughs> and one of the uh, one of the chapters that, that really hit me hard when I read the book, even though I'd only been in the hobby for eight or ten years at that time, was his description of the lifer. You know, and it, and at the age of, you know, I don't know what I was, 18 or 20 or something like that, I said, I'm like, that's me. <laughs> He's talking about me. <laughs> so, you know, I really identified with that. And, and, you know, flying models is very much the same way. You know, the people that, that I've been... Uh, honored enough to meet and talk to at, at shows like this or the Toledo show and, and events out in the field. Um, the support has been overwhelming. People are really enthusiastic and you know they want they want those family Christmas cards coming back in the mail again. So that's the goal is to, is to get the magazine back in print and bring the family back together. That's it sounds like it's really heartfelt, and uh, I look definitely look forward to seeing it make its reappearance. I'll certainly be interested in picking up some issues. Thank you. Uh, Same here. Well, uh, you guys, it's probably getting real late there. I know you got had a really busy day and probably want to hit the sack and get up real bright and early so you can walk around some more and wear out your feet. We have two more days. Minus minus the time at the intrepid. Sure. Sure. <laughs> wow. Man, you're going to have a model airplane overload. Is there such a thing? I don't think No, but <laughs> in theory, but I've never seen it. <laughs> if there is, that's how I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, Terry, post, post some photos, please, and try to get that live uh, Facebook video running again. Um, okay. I didn't have much luck yes, with the sir. Wi-Fi. To- yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> there is no try. There's only do. <laughs> Uh, blah blah blah. That's all I hear. Blah blah blah. <laughs> Just make it so. <laughs> all right, <laughs> all right, guys. Well, it's been a, another great session. Uh, it was really great to have uh, you on there. There's some great stories, and uh, your passion really comes through. And uh, any last thoughts, Lee, Terry? No, uh, no. You great guys time, have guys. some stuff going on tomorrow, right? So enjoy your day of modeling. Yeah, Lee's got to go to a swap meet. <laughs> gotta go. Sorry. He's gotta go. He got to drag that's, him to it. That's because I speak model airplane. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, if you speak model airplane, you have to go to the swap meets. <laughs> I, I believe that book is still available, at least on Amazon, if not from original sources. It's definitely worth reading if you're passionate about your about your hobby. Yeah, I'd mm. never heard of it, so I'm going to look it up. Do you uh, speak model? Right, you said. Do You Speak Model Airplane by Dave Thornburg. He's the guy who designed the Bird of Time. That's probably what he's best known for, is is designing the Bird of Time back in the day. It was published in RC Modeler in would have been the 70s, because I built a kit before I got out of high school, so... Now, see, that there just made me think, if we can find that book, that'd be a great giveaway item. (laughs) Oh, jeez. My Did wife, speak my wife has a copy. She'd be willing to give away. <laughs> <laughs> Get this thing out of the house. We might just hold you that, hold you up to that. There. 
Can we give it to Google to scan it or something? I'll yeah. I'll tell you what. If I if I find that I have two copies, I'll offer one up because I don't need two. Oh, look at that! <laughs> all right, Thanks, you and me, man. Lee, outside. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Well, thanks again, Thea, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Hopefully, we'll have you on sometime in the future. To, oh, my pleasure. It'll be fun. There's, there's definitely more to talk about. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, well, on that note, guys, have a glorious time this weekend at the show, and we'll live vicariously through you. And to everybody else, we'll see you next time. Bye bye. visit our website at rcroundtable.com where you can send us comments and suggestions or listen to our other great podcasts. Where you will also find links to our iTunes and social media sites. Thanks for listening.